Good morning. On this chilly but beautiful day, and as we know, it's very cold outside, and yet, when you look out these windows, what a beautiful day it is, and what a beautiful place we have, uh, and piece of property on which to worship. I want to share with you that yesterday, Trinity, I don't think you shared that at this service, yesterday, Um, Trinity hosted our new bishop, Bishop Tom Berlin, as well as our district superintendent, Reverend David Allen, used to be the former pastor here, one one of the associate pastors here at Trinity, as well as Alex Shanks, the assistant to the bishop. And they were here for a gathering with clergy in this area. Um, Bishop Berlin started here in Florida and as a bishop 10 days ago, 10 days ago. Um, And he was here, and it was wonderful, and then he also wanted us to kind of show him around Trinity's facility and and property after after the gathering, and we walked down the education hallway from the atrium and then went out to the chapel and then over to the memorial garden and and back up and into this space, and we pointed and showed him out to the fields and the youth building and um, the, the garage and everything that's out there, and he said, this is just amazing. Uh, he said... I- I'm not sure that there is any other church in the connection that has this kind of um, property and, and facilities. And when he says in the connection, he means in the United Methodist Church in the, in the United States. Um, he's talking about in the connection. Um, and as we wandered around, he said, what an incredible blessing this is. And what a responsibility. And I said, yes, it is. And we are grateful to be uh, about the work of Christ um, through Trinity and to have these kinds of resources enabled to be able to do this. Um, so I just want to thank you because uh, you all are, um, are, are the ones who make the work of Christ happen. So thank you. Um, As we think about um, this new year, um, we are offering a worship series called Start Here. Start Here. You know, in, in 2023, in this first month, we think a lot about new beginnings. Every year, we have this built-in opportunity as, as people to make a fresh start, to re-up for a new year, and to think about who we are and what direction we want to go in this new year. And the tendency, as Steve said last week, is to make a lot of, or at least some, New Year's resolutions. Um, to focus on a few particular things that we want to change. It might be to exercise more or to drink less. It might be to lose a few pounds or to change our eating habits, to read more, to watch less TV, to end an unhealthy relationship and be open to new ones. Any of those things resonate with any of you? And then here we are today in today's scripture reading, and it helps us also to think about new beginnings. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4, we hear an account of Jesus beginning his public ministry. And by that I mean we have read about his birth in Matthew and um, 
then his baptism by John, and then his temptation in the wilderness, but then today's scripture reading is the first time we hear an account of his public ministry. Um, that's different than the Gospels of, of Luke and John. We don't get that as the beginning of his ministry. But in Matthew and Mark, we hear him say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So I invite you to follow along with me as, as I share this scripture. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulon and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And those who sat in the region and shadow of death, for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, as he walked along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. And he called to them. Immediately, immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. This is the word of God for the people of God, and God's people say, thanks be to God. And now, as, as I do, um, when I preach, I invite you to pause for a moment and pray for me in sharing this message with you as I pray for you in receiving it. Let's pray together. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So Jesus' first proclamation, in other words, his first sermon was to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus was calling people to turn to God and to join in what God is doing. The kingdom of heaven, the reign of God, has come near, and Jesus wants people to join him in being a part of that. Repent. Repentance. Repent is really just a fancy religious word that means to turn or to change. 
It comes from the Greek word metanoia, from which we get metamorphosis, um, which implies a transformation, and it literally means a change of mind. It also is translated from the Hebrew, the Hebrew word which means return. Jesus, like many of the prophets who were his forerunners, was summoning people to return to God. It's not simply changing some of the characteristics about who we are or our actions as persons, but the transformation of the total direction of one's life. That is, to turn or to return to God. Using some of the language of addiction recovery, uh, the call to repent is to turn. It is not about dropping some of our habits or hang-ups or, or hurts, but instead to change our mind, to change our lives. And we do that not just by, by trying to, to cut out this bad thing or that negative thing or, or even to, to work harder at, at something, but to actually make a U-turn to go in a completely new direction, a direction that turns us toward Christ. As Edward Schweitzer, a theologian, says, no amount of extra exertion will help a runner who is running in the wrong direction so long as no one makes that runner turn around. It makes me think about this 5K. Um, the church where we served previously was a brand new church start, and we were offered the opportunity to, to put together a 5K race for the opening of a new bridge in that community. The, the bridge would connect the north and the south sides of the community without having to go way out around. And so we started this race um, started on the bridge, ran over the bridge, and then around, winding around in, in a residential neighborhood. Now, every runner was given a map of the course, hint, and there were guides along the way. Now, Steve wasn't one of those guides, but he was checking on things on the route. And the lead pack of runners had set a very fast pace. And at the beginning of the race, that lead pack was right on course. But about a mile into the race, the course took a U-turn. Maybe the guides weren't paying as much attention because they had run so fast, but the course took a U-turn up a road and then around a median in this divided road to head back south again. And as the course took a U-turn, that lead pack of runners took a left turn. Yeah. So Steve looked up ahead in the distance and saw them and tried to yell out to them. And he said, turn around, turn around, wrong way, turn around. But they didn't hear him and they kept on going down to the left. Now, eventually they figured out that they were off course, but it was too late. No matter how fast they were running, they were running in the wrong direction. No matter how much energy they were putting into it, they were never going to make it to the finish line in their desired time because they weren't running on the right path. 
In one of his books, uh, Jim Harnish, who's a clergy, retired clergy person in the Florida Conference, um, he tells a story about G.K. Chesterton, who was a late 19th century, early 20th century poet. And he says Chesterton had a tendency to get lost. Now, actually, it was more than just a tendency. He was habitually lost. He must have just been very directionally challenged. And at one point, he sent his wife a telegram. Remember, you know, no, no, no phones, cell phones. Um, and he said in the telegram, I'm at Market Yarborough. Where ought I to be? And his wife sent a one-word response, home. You see, Chesterton's wife assumed that if she could get him back home, then it would be easier to send him off in the right direction. You know, all of us have gone astray. All of us get lost in one way or another. And if we can just make a U-turn and find our ways back home, then we can get on the right track again. Twelve-step programs have seemed to figure this out. You know, Alcoholics Anonymous was founded on that principle. Let me tell you what I mean by that. The founder of AA, as you all probably know, was an alcoholic, and he drank and he knew he shouldn't. He wanted to quit, but he couldn't. It was destroying his marriage, destroying his life, and he really wanted to quit. He tried over and over again. But he was going down this road, and, and no matter what he did, he just couldn't seem to overcome his addiction, to stop this behavior. And then finally, he began to figure it out. He began to get together with others who had the same problem, the same addiction that he did, and they decided that first and foremost, instead of focusing on not drinking, they had to focus on God and realize that God was the only one who could bring some manageability to their lives. They could not quit drinking when they were going down the same road that they were on. They had to stop and completely make a U-turn in their lives. They had to do more than just try to stop drinking. They had to return to God. They had to find their way home to God. The on only once they turned their lives around toward total dependence on Christ, could they then head out again in the right direction. To repent is to return, to turn to God. When Jesus calls us to repent, he's not talking about saying you're sorry or feeling bad about what you've done. He actually says nothing, at least at this point, about confession or remorse or even forgiveness. He doesn't focus on what we have been doing, saying don't do this and don't do that. He doesn't try to make anyone feel guilty. Instead, he calls us to go in an entirely different direction. Turn to God. The founders of AA got it right. Only when they turned their lives around and turned toward God in 
total dependence, could they then run in the right direction? Turn, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Which leads to the second part of this story. When Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven has come near, he's not talking about the kingdom of heaven in spatial terms, but temporal terms. He's not talking about a place that has come physically near, and he's not even talking about the kingdom of heaven as a place that we are called to get to, not about escape from this world and into the next. No, Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is approaching in time and history. It's the reign of God coming into the present through the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The light has come into the world. It's the kingdom of heaven ushered in by Christ. And then we are called to participate in that kingdom work, to be a part of ushering in the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, therefore, it's also worth noting, right after Jesus calls us to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand or has come near, he then goes and calls the first disciples. He's walking along the Sea of Galilee and he sees two brothers net fishing. It's Simon Peter, the Simon who was later called Peter, and Andrew. And then he calls them and they drop their nets and they follow him. They drop everything that they are doing and the work that they have done their entire lives and they follow him. Then he sees James and John, again two brothers, and they are in the boat with their father. They're mending their nets. And again, Jesus calls them and they drop everything, leaving behind their livelihood and their father to follow Jesus. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus calls the disciples and they leave everything. They leave their boats, they leave their profession, they leave their families, they leave their relationships, and they turn and follow Christ. You know, sometimes we feel like we have to have it all together. We have to have it all right to follow Jesus. But that's not how it is. These fishermen, I'm presuming, didn't have it all together. I have to believe that they were imperfect people with many bad habits and hurts and, and hang-ups. But Jesus didn't focus on those or even talk about what they might need to leave behind. Most of us typically have a sense of what we need to leave behind, right? Instead, he called them to follow because he knew that if they turned and they followed him and they were running in the right direction, there's no telling what they could all do. You know, as you begin this new year, you might be weighed down by guilt and remorse. You might be focusing on trying to shed something or those things that you need to shed. Some of your habits and hurts and hang-ups. My encouragement to you is to know that no matter how far off track you are, no matter how 
many wrongs you've made, how many wrong turns you've made, Jesus invites you to turn, to set your face toward Christ and to run in the right direction. You know, years ago when Steve and I were in seminary, um, just a year after we were married, we went into a local bookstore in Atlanta and we're just kind of looking around. And Steve has this way of seeing shelves of books and finding the one gem. There are more than one gem, but finding a gem that is, that is there. And so he pulled this book off the shelf called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Now, we'd never heard of the author of this book at that time. His name is Eugene Peterson. Maybe some of you have heard of him now. He's written many books and a paraphrase of the Bible called The Message, that Eugene Peterson. But we had never heard of him. And I haven't read that book in years. Steve says it's on the shelf still, so I want to go and find it and read it again. But my assumption is that Peterson adopted that phrase, the long obedience in the same direction, from Frederick Nietzsche. And he writes this, the essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be a long obedience in the same direction. There thereby results, and has always resulted in the long run, something which has made life worth living. So as we approach this new year, my hope and prayer for you, for me, for all of us, is that in order to become who God is calling us to be, that we will repent and turn or return to Christ setting our eyes on him because he is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith so that we will run with endurance the race that is set before us, always running in the right direction. Will you pray with me? Oh God, sometimes we get so caught up in what we should and shouldn't do that we're focused more on those things than on you, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So oh God, give us the eyes to see you. Give us the will to run toward you. Give us the strength and the courage to keep running in the right direction, the same direction as we follow you. And then, oh God, together can we rest in you and, and put our whole dependence on you, surrender our lives to you, that together as your people, we might help usher in the kingdom of heaven. Oh God, sanctify us. 
make us holy as we seek to run the race in the right direction. Amen.